0: Well, tonight we're ready to launch into Chapter 7. You may notice the notes are a little thicker. Wait till we get to Chapter (laughs) 9. I can say that because I was really working on those all day today. (laughs) So uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for you giving us your word. Help us that we might be students of it. And Father, even as we see your word, we see prophecies in your word, we see how they have been fulfilled, it just even raises more our confidence in you and in the scriptures that you've given to us. Now be with us tonight as we uh, go through Daniel chapter 7. Pray that you would give us insight, help us that we might rightly divide your word. For this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So... Tonight we move from the historical part of Daniel into the prophetic section of the book. Uh, With the exception of verse 1, the rest of the book is written in the first person. Just as the historical section has some prophecy in it, the prophetic section has some history in it. So even though that's the divide, dividing line, uh, chapters one through six and then seven through 12, the historical part, the prophetic part, uh, each of those parts have some of the other in it. And we'll see that as we're moving through. As chapter seven begins, it is 14 years before the fall of Babylon. Now keep in mind, the book of Daniel is not written in chronological order. You know, we're, most of us are used to reading something and finding it in the correct chronological order. That wasn't Daniel's purpose, to write this in chronological order. So we're actually going back uh, to like chapter five. You know, chronologically, the events recorded in chapter seven take place before the events in chapter five. Chapter seven reveals the first of four personal visions given to Daniel. You know, think back when Daniel was interpreting the handwriting on the wall. He had already had his visions, so he knew who was going to follow the Babylonian Empire. Because God had already revealed that to him. Daniel's vision in chapter seven contains the most comprehensive and detailed information about future events found anywhere in the Old Testament. Daniel tracks four great human empires. And we've been we'll be talking about them tonight: the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greece, and the Roman empires and reveals the climax of human history with the re- arrival of the Messianic Kingdom. In comparing chapter 2 and chapter 7, we find similarities and differences. Now let's just pause for a second here, and let's look at a map that's up on the screen. Uh, thank you for those of you who uh, offered last after last week help in finding the maps I was looking for uh, we did uh, find most of the maps that we're looking at tonight on a, a site olive tree uh, dot I don't know whether it's dot org or dot com, but they have maps there. Uh, a couple of the maps Jennifer had to create uh, to to get exactly what I was looking for tonight. So first of all, we have the Babylonian Empire. Then. So what you see in the green would basically make up the Babylonian Empire. Now, if we overlay that with today, our world today, you can see the various countries that would be involved. That kind of helps me, as I mentioned, to, to get a handle on where some of these places were. So we have the four great empires, the first one, was the Babylonian Empire, and that corresponds back to Nebuchadnezzar's dream to what? The head. the head of gold. The head of gold. The Babylonian Empire. Okay, what was the next empire? Medo-Persian. The Medo-Persian. So let's go to the next map there. All right, what you see in the yellow would basically represent the Medo-Persian Empire. You can see it's much more vast than even the Babylonians in the land that it controlled. Now, if we overlay it with nations of today, once again, you can see those various uh, nations. So kind of the headquarters for the, the Persian, Medo-Persian Empire uh, was in the country of Iran that we see. All right, and that corresponds to the silver on the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. All right, next, what was the next great empire? Greece. Greece. So if we go to the next empire, you can see in the brown, you know, the territory that the Greeks, and we'll be talking about these things uh, tonight, that would be the territories that the, the Greeks uh, Controlled, and if you overlay the map uh, maps of today, uh, you'll kind of get that. This is the one we had to create ourselves and put in there. So that would be roughly the territory that was controlled by the, the Greek Empire, and that corresponded with the uh, the brass on the image. All right, what was the next empire? Rome. And so, the, the next one, if you bring it up on the screen, would be the Roman Empire. Uh, basically, those areas that are in the brown there, where you'll see that. And if you overlay it with the countries of today, once again, you'll, you'll see the area that it covered. Like, once again, we'll be talking about these as we're moving forward. All right. So, Daniel is now going to have a, a vision of these four empires and he's going to see them in a little different light than what Nebuchadnezzar did. We we'll about. All right, we talked about their similarities uh, here in uh, Daniel chapter 7 between uh, the vision given to Daniel and the dream that was given to King Nebuchadnezzar. The similarities are there are four Gentile nations which will succeed one another. The fourth empire will be destroyed by the Messiah. The Messianic kingdom will be established. The fourth kingdom is diverse, and the fourth kingdom will go through various stages. When we talk about those stages with the fourth kingdom, when we talked about Rome, remember we have the legs, and then we have the feet, and then we have the the ten toes. So it's going to go through various stages. Now, what is different? All right, number one, in chapter two, the vision is given to a pagan king, to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, we've talked about that before. Uh, God chose to reveal this to a pagan king. Uh, Secondly, what's different, the vision in chapter 7 is given to a holy prophet. So one goes to a pagan king, the other goes to a holy prophet. In chapter 2, Daniel interprets the dream. In chapter 7, an angel interprets the dream and vision. In chapter two, it is coming from a human perspective. And from the human, pagan king, human perspective, and it's impressive with the grandeur of what you, the head of gold, the silver. That's how these future kingdoms are presented. You remember, Nebuchadnezzar was so impressed with the vision about Babylon, there that remember he built his image, only he, you know, was trying to make a statement that what God said was not going to happen. And so he built his image totally of, of gold, the whole image, trying to make a statement that Babylon would not be destroyed and would be succeeded. Uh, so the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has is coming from a human perspective of how magnificent these kingdoms are. In chapter 7, in the dream and visions given to Daniel, it's from the perspective, uh, more of God's perspective, that these kingdoms are not uh, impressive. These kingdoms are like wild beasts. And uh, we've I got a couple charts here, and I know it is, I came in here today and thought, wow, I know we couldn't make them any bigger than what they are, but they needed to be about 10 times this size for everybody to be able to see, at least for me to see from the back. At some point tonight, we may move some of these out where you can get a good look at them. Uh, but it's, a uh, uh, as we looked around, this is kind of an artist's rendition of these beasts as Daniel sees them. So we'll talk about them, and maybe we'll have some people walk around with them so that everybody can get a a view of it, okay? All right, chapter seven can be divided into three parts, the visions, the interpretation, and then the conclusion. So the visions are found in verses one to 14 of chapter seven. Daniel has a dream and several visions. It may be that the things are revealed to him in different components. So instead of seeing everything in just one dream or in visions, it may be that different parts of this are shown to him. And we'll see as we read through the text. The visions are in plural. Perhaps the visions were related to the four beasts in verses 1 to 8 and then the Ancient of Days in verses 9 to 14. It is also possible that the vision was of the great sea and the first three beasts in verses 2 through 6. A second vision about the fourth beast in verses 7 to 8 is introduced in verse 7 by the words, After this a third vision about the Ancient of Days in verses 9 to 12, and a fourth vision about the establishment of the Messianic kingdom. So Daniel has a series of visions. He has a dream. He doesn't see everything in one of these, but he's putting these all together. Right. Verse 1, chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions, notice plural, of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Verse 1 introduces this section. It was Belshazzar's first year on the throne, probably 553 B.C., Chronologically, Daniel's dream and visions occur between chapters 4 and 5. The difference between a vision and a dream seems to be that a vision occurs when a person is awake and a dream occurs when a person is asleep. I'm always asked that question. What's the difference between a dream and a vision? Well, it seems, and I don't think we can say this dogmatically, but it does seem that a vision is something that you see while you're awake, A dream is something you see while you're asleep. Daniel has a dream, and when he wakes up, he writes down what he saw in the dream. Verse 2. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. Daniel saw the great sea being churned up by the four winds. Now, the great sea in the Bible typically refers to the Mediterranean Sea. So we would see that. We could go back in Joshua chapter 1 in verse 4. Talks about from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, at, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So the great sea there is very clearly the Mediterranean Sea. If we go over into Ezekiel chapter 47 and verse 15, it says, this shall be the boundary of the land on the north side from the great sea by way of Hethlon to Lebo-Hamath and on to Zedad. So the great sea typically in the scriptures where it's used refers to the Mediterranean Sea. However, The word sea is also used symbolically to refer to the Gentile world. And there's different passages that speak of this. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, uh, John writes, And I saw the beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. Over in Revelation chapter 17, verse one, it says, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. And then in Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, and the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So when we come to this passage and he talks about the great sea, uh, we have to look at it and say, okay, great sea, if it's not used in a symbolic way, is referring to the Mediterranean. If it's being used in a symbolic way, it's referring to the Gentile nations. Uh, Daniel says the sea was being moved by the four winds of heaven, indicating it is God who is stirring up the nations. Now, I believe in this particular place, uh, I would say that what's being referred to here as the sea would be the Gentile nations that Daniel is seeing in his story. We're coming into a section that's going to have all kinds of symbolism and stuff in it. The four beasts that are different from one another come up from the sea. The word translated beasts literally means wild animals, Daniel is seeing four wild animals come up out of the sea. The four beasts are interpreted for us in verse 17 as being four kings. So just skip over to verse 17 for a moment. And there in verse 17, we read, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So, you know, oftentimes in the scriptures, when symbols are used, the scriptures will also reveal to us the meaning of those symbols. So, here in Daniel, if you read far enough into chapter 7, you come across these four kingdoms are represented by four kings. Chapter 7 gives us more information about the four kingdoms in the image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter two. So as Daniel is speaking from God's perspective, we're going to get more information about these four great kingdoms than Nebuchadnezzar got in his dream and in the interpretation of the dream. You with me so far? Okay. Well, let's keep going, All right? Beast number one is Babylon. Uh, Andy, can you bring that map of Babylon back up on the screen? Okay, beast number one, Babylon, verse four. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Now, just imagine dreaming that and and seeing uh, that. I mean, I read that, and it's like, okay, what in the world is he talking about here? In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the first kingdom was Babylon, and it was represented by the head of gold. This spoke of the magnificence of the kingdom. In Daniel's vision, the first beast has the features of a lion. The lion is used as a symbol of Babylon in, in various different passages. Over in Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 3. It says, thus says the Lord God, a great eagle and great wings and long pinions, rich in plumage of many colors, came to Lebanon and took the top of the cedar. If you were were to read on there, you would find out that it is Babylon the nation who is being referred to there in Ezekiel 17.3. Winged lions were placed at the gates of the royal palaces in Babylon. Just as the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw with the head of gold, the first beast is seen as the king of the beasts and because of the eagle's wings, the king of the birds. So it's a lion uh, that has wings. Four things happen to the first beast. Its wings are plucked. It's lifted up from the earth, it stands on two feet like a man, and a man's mind is given to it. The wings being plucked and the reference to standing like a man and having a man's mind is parallel to chapter four, when God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, Uh, Maybe one of you guys can grab this and kind of walk around while I walk around with this one, just to uh, kind of give you a view that what Nebuchadnezzar sees is something like uh, over here. As you're looking at it, would be on your right, and then you see it in the back, the the second view of it. the lion standing up. And so the idea of the lion standing up is the idea when Nebuchadnezzar was being humbled and he became like a beast of the field. And then afterwards, his mind is returned to him. Those of you that are kind of visual kind of helps me sometimes. So if you look, like I said, over to the right of the thing, you see the, the lion. And with its wings, and then later on in the passage, it, uh, you see the, the lion standing up. So Nebuchadnezzar is seeing something like that. Obviously, based on the charts, he dreamed in color. <laughs> For those who didn't catch that, that was a joke. So the lion corresponds to the head of gold, the idea of the the greatness of Babylon. Right? So that's the first beast that he sees. Verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. Okay, why don't you take the, this picture around again for me, Carl, if you will. <laughs> We're going to keep you busy here. <laughs> All right, go ahead and bring up the next kingdom also, Andy, on the screen. Okay, as we go into the Medo-Persian and you see the the picture of the bear, he sees in his dream, now he's seeing these animals come up out of the sea. And I thought someone was scared of the bear. So the, the, the bear comes up out of the sea and... It's not even, it's kind of raised up on one side. So the bear is lopsided. And it has three ribs. That it's just it showing eating the three ribs. Yeah, he's he's feasting on the the three ribs. Think of that the next time you have your rib dinner and that. All right, so you've got the The second image that he's seeing is that of a bear, which represents the Medo-Persian Empire. So what we're seeing here is you have one after another of these beasts coming out of the sea. That's what Daniel is seeing in his dream or in his vision. Beast 2 resembles a bear with one size raised and three ribs in its teeth. The text does not say whether the beast was standing, sitting, or lying down. It seems to describe the beast as being lopsided. The uneven sides of the bear, with one side higher than the other, provide an additional detail not seen in Nebuchadnezzar's vision. That of the shifting dominance in the Medo-Persian Empire. Median influence governed the empire during the administration of Cyrus and Cambius. But within a half century, Persia gained prominence during the reign of Xerxes I. The change in political ascendancy is reflected in the change of the legal statement of the royal edict from the law of the Medes and Persians. Remember when that was said? You know, before Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and that, that the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed. Well, when we come over to the book of Esther, which was written after the book of Daniel, it has been changed to the laws of the Persia and Media in Esther chapter 1, verse 19. So in, uh, in Esther 1:19, it says, "If it please the king, let the royal order go out from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, where in Daniel it was the law of the Medes and the Persians. So it's showing the sh- that's, this is the accuracy of prophecy in the scriptures. It's showing that this bear is lopsided, and we're seeing that there's a shift, in the part of the kingdom that is more powerful and more in control. Uh, let's see. The bear is less majestic than the lion. Its bulky body appears less graceful and agile. Nevertheless, in scripture, the bear is frequently associated with lions in fierceness. You can look up those passages that speak of the fierceness of the bear. Indeed, Medio Persia was a potent threat. Yet, as stated, the empire lacked the cohesive strength that made its predecessor so formidable. In addition, just as the bear moves more slowly than a lion, so did the Medo-Persian Empire move more slowly in its military campaigns. The loss of speed was caused by its enormous size. The the Medo-Persian forces conquered by sheer force of number. Finally, the three ribs in the bear's mouth indicate that the beast had already dismembered some prey. Uh, Most likely, the ribs represent, and we can't be dogmatic on this, but most likely, they represent three of the historic conquests of the Medo-Persian Empire. Lydia in 546 B.C., Babylon in 539 B.C., and Egypt in 525 B.C. At the end of the verses, the bear is encouraged to arise and devour more flesh, In other words, the Medo-Persian Empire was granted authority to conquer yet additional nations. So this is the second beast that uh, Daniel sees. Beast number three, Greece, verse six. After this, I looked up, and behold, another like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Oh, you're already ahead of me there, Carl. Okay. So the third beast he sees is that of the, the leopard. And the leopard has four heads and also the, the wings on the, the leopard. So this is, you know, once again, beast after beast is coming up out of the sea. So one comes, and then the next comes, and then the next comes, and then the next comes. And Daniel is seeing this. And, you know going to be striving to understand what is it that he sees and what is it that it means. You're welcome. Those of you that again, if anyone needs a good look, we'll try to. So just so everybody knows, these pictures are not inspired. (laughs) The the text is inspired. This is just a artist's rendition of trying to come up with what it is that uh, Daniel is seeing. So do we have, what do we still have up there? Yeah, all right. You've got the Greek empire up there on the map. The Greece Empire is described as being like a leopard. It has four wings, is less majestic than a lion, and is not as grand as a bear, but it is much faster. The wings would make it even faster. Under Alexander the Great, nations were conquered quickly. In four years, he had defeated the Medo-Persian Empire, including Israel Syria, and Egypt. Within six years, he had taken control over an additional 11,000 miles of territory, stretching all the way to the border of India. Not only does the beast have four wings, but it also has four heads. After Alexander the Great's death, the empire was divided into four parts under four of Alexander's generals. The statement that dominion was given to it represents that it would be the largest kingdom thus far. So you see kind of the imagery from the scriptures of the beasts matches with what we know historically about these nations. Next in verses seven and eight, we have verse we have beast number four. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast. Now guess I'm reading this and if you read that together, you just have to think, all right, Daniel has a dream. It's like he wakes up from his dream and then he sees visions while he is awake. And these things are coming one after another. He says, so after this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. All right, so Daniel now sees a fourth beast that is very different from the other beasts that he has seen. Uh, It's much harder for him to describe because it doesn't look like something he's really seen before. The the fourth beast that he sees is very terrifying uh, to him. Well, I think the three beasts would have been terrifying to me but to see them followed by this fourth beast. And then, you know, the fourth beast has 10 horns. And then as he's, you know, watching in his vision, a little horn starts growing and pops up and displaces three of the other horns that are there. So you have kind of the, the view in the artist's rendition of the beast and then of the the little horn. Did you get to see this one yet, Ken? Yeah, it does kind of look like a dinosaur in the artist's uh, rendition of it. I'm sure this is all saved on recordings, so when we get to heaven, we can uh, go into the, the library there and. Uh, see the dream exactly as Daniel uh, saw it. The fourth beast represents the Roman Empire. The fourth is different from the other three. The first three beasts were compared to different animals, a lion, a bear, and a leopard. The fourth is so different that Daniel did not attempt to compare it to an animal. There is something very different about this beast. It is scarier than the other beasts. Remember, we're talking about the word beast means wild animals. Daniel describes the forced beast as being terrible, powerful, and strong. It also has great iron teeth. Rome not only conquered other nations, it crushed them. It trampled on them with its feet. Trampling with the feet emphasizes vengeance. One example of this method of conquest in history is the War of Rome with Carthage in 146 BC. Located on the eastern shore of Lake Tunis in what is now Tunisia, Carthage was one of the most prosperous cities in the classical world and one of the most commercial centers in the ancient Mediterranean area. After a nearly three-year siege, Rome annihilated the city, never again to be rebuilt. In the same manner, the fourth empire would crush civilizations, which the other three empires did not do. The 10 horns of the fourth beast Compa- corresponded to the ten toes in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. While contemplating what he had seen, Daniel then saw an eleventh horn, much smaller than the other ten. It uprooted three of the other horns. The little horn has eyes like a man and begins speaking great things. The word for great things is taken two different ways. It can refer to being huge or domineering, or it can mean arrogant and pompous. Daniel's vision goes beyond Nebuchadnezzar's dream in that Daniel sees not only the 10-stage kingdom, but also another stage with a little horn uprooting three of the horns. All right, so So now we're seeing that what Daniel sees goes a step further than Nebuchadnezzar's. Nebuchadnezzar just saw the, and remember it emphasized, you know, the feet and the ten toes of the image. So Daniel's vision is going a step further in that it sees from the ten horns that little horn that comes up, displaces three of the other horns. And then you saw the significance of it being full of eyes and speaking out uh, probably proud and pompous things. Well, then in verses 9 to 12, Daniel has a third vision. There is now a shift of focus. There is a shift from earth to heaven and from the little horn to the ancient of days. No system of biblical interpretation can claim to be adequate unless it provides a satisfactory interpretation of the conclusion of the vision. Three major facts stand out in verses 9 to 14. First, in verses 9 and 10, Daniel has a vision of heaven at the time of final judgment on the nations. Second, in verses 11 and 12, the little horn representing the last ruler of the times of the Gentiles is destroyed with it, and with it his empire. Third, the fifth kingdom the kingdom of the Son of Man who comes with the clouds of heaven is brought in, beginning the everlasting dominion of God. It is obvious that all three factors combine to make clear that this is a summary conclusion which is catastrophic in nature and introducing a radical change. The critical explanation of the fourth empire As belonging to Alexander, now let me say, I haven't introduced this to this point uh, because I'm not going into all the different theories of it, but there are those who would hold that everything here was fulfilled in Alexander's reign. And so what we're saying here is... uh, Alexander's reign in the end of the Greek empire in no way can account for all the details that Daniel is giving us here. It says the fourth empire is belonging to Alexander has no reasonable explanation of any of these three factors, let alone an expl- explanation of all of them. If this is genuine prophecy... It belongs to a future consummation which was not realized by the Greek Empire nor by the Roman Empire as far as recorded history is concerned. So, what we're saying here, from what we've seen so far in Daniel's vision and dreams, there is nothing in history that totally deals and can explain for there at the end of the dream. You know, the little horn coming up, displacing three of the horns, and then what occurs after that that we're about to talk about. Verse nine. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. The word for placed can also mean removed. The thrones, notice it is plural, seem to be set up for judgment on the earthly nations. We are not told who sat on the other throne. They were not set up for God to sit on them. God does sit upon a throne, but not the ones that were removed. The title, Ancient of Days, appears only in the book of Daniel. Verse 9, and then down in verse 13. However, Psalm 55, 19 speaks of God being enthroned from of old. His garment is as white as snow, indicating holiness. His head is like pure wool, and it speaks to his purity. This can be seen from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. In Isaiah 1, we read, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, They shall be as white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall become like wool. It appears the Ancient of Days is God the Father. Christ is going to be referred to as the Son of Man. The other thrones are not described, but God's throne is described, as fiery flames, in the Bible, fire often is associated with the presence of God. It is also associated with judgment, which seems to be the purpose in this verse. The throne also has wheels, which were burning fire. All of this is consistent with Ezekiel's description. In Ezekiel chapter 4, in... Uh, Ezekiel chapter one, verses four to twenty one. Let me read you just a few verses from Ezekiel chapter one. Ezekiel has a dream and he or a vision and he sees the throne of God. And as he's describing it, he says this As I looked, behold a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaning metal. Then a little bit on down, he says, As for the likeness of the living creature, their appearance was like burning coals of fire like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. So what we're seeing is Daniel's vision of seeing the throne of God and the, the fire that he talks about seeing there is very consistent with the vision that Ezekiel had of the throne of God. So we're seeing, Daniel is seeing the Ancient of Days. Let's move through this section and then we'll stop for questions. Right. Verse 10. A steam of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court set in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominions were taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. We see the theme of judgment continued. It is as if a river of fire was streaming from God's throne. Daniel saw an angelic beings. He is unable to number them. Uh, So he estimates there were a thousand of thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. We sometimes wonder how many angels there are. Let's just say there are plenty of them. Which stood before him. Countless angels ministering to him and even more standing around his throne. They are waiting to receive his commands to carry out judgment. In preparation for judgment, the books are opened. The commentator Leopold states, In them are written not names, but the deeds of men, a record of their ungodly acts, on the basis of which they will be judged. Judgment is about to fall on the Gentile nations. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, details this event. So what Daniel is seeing is he is seeing the great judgment of the nations. Now, Matthew talks about this in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Listen to what Daniel says, or to what Matthew writes. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, He will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? Then he, then, and, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison. And not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what we're seeing here in Daniel chapter 10, in verses, or in in Daniel chapter 7, verses 10 to 12, is the judgment of the nations and these Gentile nations, these beasts being judged by God. Then in verses 13 to 14, and then we'll take a break after this. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. There came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. In verses 13 and 14, Daniel describes his fourth vision. Daniel sees the Messiah second coming. Heaven is the focus of verses 13 and 14. Christ and God the Father are in this vision. The Ancient of Days is God the Father, and the Son of Man is Jesus. The term Son of Man appears many times in the Old Testament, and it is used to represent human beings. In the New Testament, Jesus is called the Son of Man 88 times. This was his favorite title that Jesus took for himself. Daniel observed that the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, when Yeshua ascended into heaven, he did so in a cloud. Remember Acts 1.9? And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. In like manner, he will return in the clouds of heaven. Um, Matthew 24.30 tells us, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and glory. Over in Revelation 1-7, John declared, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. When used symbolically, the term cloud represents God's glory. Exodus 4.35 tells us, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So when it's used symbolically, the cloud represents God's glory. Yeshua's arrival on earth in clouds of heaven does not just mean that there will be physical clouds, but it emphasizes that he will come with the fullness of the Shekinah glory. Remember, the Shekinah glory was the, the evidence of God's presence, That is why Revelation 1-7 states that every eye shall see him, and they that pierced him and all the tribes of earth shall mourn over him. Even so, amen. The theologian Reynolds Showers adds the following observation regarding the clouds of heaven. Several Old Testament passages declare that the clouds are the chariot of God. Psalm 104.3 is an example. He lays the beams of his chambers on waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Thus the fact that the Son of Man was coming with the clouds of heaven indicated he, that he also was deity. That's why the Uh, The people of Jesus' day got so upset with him when he referred to himself as the Son of Man because they made these references back to the book of Daniel and knew that he was claiming to be God. Uh, The angels lead the Son of Man to the Father. This verse makes it clear that the Son of Man and the Ancient of Days are distinct beings. The Son of Man is submissive to the Ancient of Days yet he is given everlasting dominion over the nations and is worshiped. His dominion is everlasting and shall never be destroyed. Verse 14 restates the message of Daniel chapter 2. The Gentile nations will be ultimately destroyed and will be replaced by the everlasting kingdom of God. Okay, we've thrown a lot out there. And some of you are looking kind of, uh, what in the world are you talking about? Well, this is not the easiest section of the book of Daniel. Nor is it the hardest section of the book of Daniel. We're still coming. We have lots of symbolism here, lots of things that are being thrown out. And you may have to read it a few times to let it sink in exactly what we're saying. Because what what has occurred, we have gone from a vision of the kingdoms of the earth to then a glimpse into the future that following these kingdoms and the future state of that last kingdom. Remember, the last kingdom, the Roman Empire is seen in various different stages. You know, it is shown by the fact in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, you know, from we, we have the the legs down to the feet and then the ten toes. And then you remember in that vision, you had the stone from heaven that wasn't cut out by hands that comes down, strikes the image. And I'm going to stress this over and over again. It strikes the image on its feet, indicating it's something in the future that strikes it on its feet and the whole, all the empires crumble. The, The entire image crumbles. Now we're coming over and we've got Daniel's dream where he doesn't see the magnificence of these kingdoms. He sees them as wild beasts. That's God's perspective, that they are beasts, And Daniel, as he walks us through the same empires that Daniel interpreted or the same stages that Daniel interpreted for King Nebuchadnezzar, now we see this progression happening and we see that fourth beast and we see it with the ten horns and then the little horn coming up out of it, and then, like in a like in in just a, a moment, Daniel then sees a vision where he's really seeing not what's going on in Earth, but what's going on in heaven, and he's taken like almost into the throne room of God. He sees God's throne. He sees the the now i want to be careful when i say he sees the ancient of days is there cuz no one has totally seen god but there is the ancient of days and he we see the son of man they're clearly distinguished from one another they're you know it's the father and it's the son and then we see the fact that they are over everything, once again, bringing us back just to like in Nebuchadnezzar's dream where the Messianic kingdom arrives. So there's a lot been thrown out there. All right, what are your questions? You know, maybe next week we need to start with questions as well, giving you some time to go back over this and look at it. But go ahead.
1: I'm going to put this the best way that I can. Um, So Daniel talks about the great judgment, which is the ancient of days. And you had mentioned that... When he saw the great throne, that that was on the left, and the Son of Man indicated being on the right. Is that correct?
0: I don't know that I said left may, right.
1: Okay. So, and maybe but that's just maybe what I was didn't, in my I head. I don't think so. Okay, and that's okay. So... My understanding is that there are two judgment seats. There's the great judgment, and then there is a judgment seat called the BEMA seat. Is that correct? Okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely, but they don't happen at the same time. Okay, actually, there are several judgments that are talked about in the scriptures. But this particular judgment that I think is being talked about here is the judgment of the nations that is also talked about in uh, Matthew chapter 25. All right, uh, I believe that that judgment there in Matthew chapter 25 is happening at the end of the tribulation period, which we'll be talking more about and hasn't even come up in Daniel yet, but will be coming up when we get to chapter 9. But so that occurs then. And that is a judgment of those who get to go into the kingdom and those who do not get to go into the kingdom. Now, this is going to mess up some of the stuff you've heard in the past, but at that judgment, you want to be the one that is left, not the one that's taken away. Because those who are left are those who go into the kingdom. Those who are taken away are taken away into everlasting judgment. The Bema Seat judgment has nothing to do with any of this whatsoever. The bema seat judgment is a judgment where our works as believers come underneath the judgment for the purpose of rewards. I believe that's what Paul was talking about in Corinthians that each of us we lay the firm foundation is laid we build upon it and based on what we've built it will be tested by fire. But at the bema seat those who are there are all believers. At this judgment that we're seeing, it's at the end of all of the Gentile nations and the history that has happened there, and the the judgment that Daniel is talking about is a judgment of the nations that determines those who will go into the millennial kingdom. Okay, does that clear it up? Okay. Yes.
1: So those that are left, are they Christians going
2: into the millennium?
0: Yes. Well, going into the millennium will all be saved people. The millennium begins with everyone who is entering into that kingdom is saved. But during the course of the millennial reign of Christ, there will be people born, you know, reproduction will continue to go on, they will have children, you know, and throughout that thousand years, uh, and there will be the everyone born then will have a sin nature like the rest of us have sin nature, and uh, it is surprising uh, at the numbers who after having lived in a perfect environment for a thousand years, you know, while Christ is ruling and reigning on earth, the numbers of those who will choose not to follow God and will still rebel against him. Once again, proving for us that even putting man in a perfect environment with perfect justice is not going to guarantee that everyone will follow God. They're those who will still choose not to follow him. Okay.
1: In that, in that thousand years, Satan's not active at that time too, correct?
0: Right. During the thousand years, Satan is not active. During the thousand years, Satan is bound. Uh, in the, We call it the bottomless pit. Literally, it's a shaft that goes down into the abyss. Satan is bound there for those thousand years. So people are not choosing not to follow God based on being deceived by Satan because Satan is bound. After the thousand years, he will be released and he leads his final rebellion against God. We'll be getting into more of this as we go on. While we're on judgments, Butch, We've been talking about the great judgment here. Uh, how is it different from the great white throne judgment and the times at which they occur? Okay. All right. The judgment of the nations occurs at the end of the tribulation period before the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. The great white throne judgment occurs at the end of the millennial reign of Christ before we enter into what we call the eternal state. So it's a total different judgment. Well, it will be, the great white throne judgment will include those from the, the, you know, those who have come through the millennium. It will also be at that time, we're told that uh, all the dead will stand before God and be judged. And that will be the ultimate judgment to where then they will be thrown into the lake of fire. The judgment of the. All right, when you say the great judgment, you got to be careful as to what we're referring to when we say great judgment. Typically, in you know the language that I'm familiar with, that most theologians would use, would be the judgment of the nations, which is what we've been talking about that Daniel is seeing here, because we we see the judgment of the. Uh, nations occurring before the messianic kingdom is set up so the great white throne judgment would be at the end of the millennium other questions
2: I'm just saying something a little different I learned from my studying of Daniel. And when we talked about the Greek Empire, okay, I wanted to see if anything really good came out of the Greek Empire. And of course, the Koine Greek, which is the language they spoke, um, which is a common language, not the elite language, but a common language, they had a word for everything. And out of that came the Septuagint out of that language so uh, that gave us our bible today translated uh, for today that was a that was a common good that came out of greek now out of the roman empire what i did learn was that the romans had the pox romana And that's the peace of Rome. And there were no wars during that time. It was a very peaceful time frame. The Roman Empire went on for about 1,000 years. And out of that empire, they built 51,000 miles of roads. That is a lot of roads. And because of that, Apostle Paul and other apostles and other Christians were able to travel and share the gospel and peacefully get to their destination as peacefully as possible I should say and um, I just thought that was really interesting some of the roads still exist today and that thousand years would be like 500 BC to 500 AD I believe for the Roman Empire now you're talking about the Messiah coming out of the Roman Empire do you believe which this is my question to you that the Roman Empire will be revived or that it just out of those peoples <laughs>
0: Well, my, my belief would be that the final confederation of nations from which the Antichrist, because we'll talk more about the little horn and him being the, the Antichrist, that he will come out of some form of the revived Roman Empire. I think that's consistent with both the, uh, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar with the Ten Toes, uh, and also consistent with what we're seeing in the vision and dreams that Daniel had, that it's out of that final beast that you have the little horn that comes up. It's coming forth from that fourth and final kingdom. So it's, now I'm not going to speculate and say for sure. Uh, what that is, or what that form is, uh, throughout history, people have made all kinds of announcements and have been wrong in what they've been saying. You know, you can go back. Uh, both in identifying the Antichrist and identifying what is the... Anytime you hear of any 10-nation confederacy, you're going to hear someone saying, hey, this is what Daniel was talking about. Just because it has the number 10 in it, that's what they're going to come to. And I think, once again, this is where we must be careful and not do what I call newspaper exegesis. We look at something and we say, based on this, this is definitely what was being talked about. Have to be careful in doing that. Let's stick to what the scriptures say. Now, at the same time, I think we can see the signs of the times and see how things could possibly be fulfilled. But let's not be dogmatic on it. Uh, too many good Bible teachers have ended up with egg all over their faces over pronouncements that they've made. And then they discredit their whole message. You know, Maybe they were correct 95% of the teaching that they gave, and then they come out and go out on a limb and say something that goes beyond what the Scriptures say, and then everything that they've said is discredited. And I, I've seen that happen again and again with some guys who were good Bible teachers. But sometimes they just made some, some bad statements. Okay. Other questions? Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Go back over this material before we meet next When You know, there's a lot that we threw out there. Uh, tonight. Well, there's a lot that was in Daniel's vision and dreams that is there. Look over that and watch. If there's part of it you don't understand or you have questions about, we'll start next week with questions about what you may not understand and try to clear those things up for you. Just keep in mind the progression of what's happening there. Daniel is having a dream and then visions, in which he sees these four beasts coming out of the sea now they're coming out the fact that the seas are troubled means that god is causing this to happen and god's in control of all of this beast after beast comes forward you know representing the different kingdoms that are going to be here on earth this is why when we read this chapter in particular, this is why the liberals say Daniel could have never written this. Because it too accurately portrays what is going you know, Think of the description here even of the nations and of these wild beasts and how it represents historically who they were, how they responded, and the truth about it. the The details they're saying, the details are too accurate. That's why they've got to say this This wasn't written by Daniel in Babylon. Someone around the, the, the first or second century pretended to be Daniel, said he was Daniel, and looking back on what happened, he wrote these things because it's too accurate. Well, not if you believe in a God who knows the future and not only knows it, is moving for it to happen. Uh, That's why, see, we're going to be faced with a question at times. And that question is, do we believe in a God of the supernatural or don't we? Because if we believe in a God of the supernatural, none of this stuff poses a problem for us that God would reveal all of this to Daniel. If we don't believe in a God of the supernatural, then we say this can't be true. Daniel could have never written this. It's too accurate. About it. So look it over. If you have questions, come back. If you don't understand it, my goal is to help you understand it. And I, you know, this is not an easy, we're now in some portions of Scripture that are not easy to understand. Uh, remember, Paul will talk about The milk of the word, the meat of the word, this is not milk. This is not milk. And so this is a portion of scripture that is very difficult to understand and to interpret. But because God has given it to us, I believe he wants us to understand it. He wants us to study it. And do our best to understand what he's saying. And as the person teaching this class, it is my goal for you to be able to understand this. And if you don't, come with your questions. And we'll we'll seek to, to work through this difficult section. Okay? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we recognize you as the Ancient of Days. We thank you for our Savior, the Son of Man. And Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Help us to understand it. And help us, Father, to live our lives in light of the fact that you are the one in control and we can have confidence in you. And help us also, Lord, In a time of uneasiness throughout our world, when all kinds of things are going on, remind us of the fact that in the end you win. And that's not in doubt, and it's never been in doubt. So that we can rejoice, even in the midst of trouble in our world, knowing that none of this has taken you by surprise, and that you are in control. For that we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.